Welcome to the Dearly Woven Podcast. I am your host, Casey Dow. This is the podcast where we dive into the stories of shepherds and makers. So if you love all things sheep and wool, then this is the podcast for you. Well, hello there. The podcast is back, guys, for a new season with a new intro in a new year. I can't believe it's 2021. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a great new year. The podcast break was a little longer than I anticipated, but I'm so excited to be back and bring in y'all interviews with such inspirational people within the shepherding and fiber arts community. So for this season of the podcast, every other week, I will be bringing you the stories of shepherds and shepherdesses and their journeys on how they got started and where they are at now, as well as those working in the wool industry. And before we get into things, if you would like to help the podcast reach other sheep and wool lovers like ourselves, I would love if you shared with your friends or on social media or leave a rating and review on your podcast listening app. And as always, you can find me at Dearly Woven on Instagram and Facebook or my website, dearlywoven.com. So my amazing guest to start off season two is Siri Swanson of Yankee Rock Farm. She runs it with her partner, Colin, along with their shearing business, Yankee Clippers Shearing. Siri had a big year in 2020 and turned her passions into her full-time job, which I think is just so awesome and inspiring. I can't wait for you all to hear our conversation. So let's jump straight into the interview. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Siri of Yankee Rock Farm and Yankee Clippers Shearing. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Siri, do you mind starting off by doing a brief introduction about yourself and then share your story on how you got started with sheep? Yeah, so we, myself and my partner, Colin, farm in Vermont, uh, where we have Yankee Rock Farm, which is basically the conjoined uh, efforts of what used to be our old 4-H projects. Um, So we raise border esters, thin sheep, and cheviots. We raise them primarily for breeding stock, but we also sell their wool and meat. And then we also shear full-time as Yankee Clippers shearing. So we travel all over the Northeast and Midwest shearing for flocks of all sizes and types. Um, And that's our off-farm job, but, you know, still pretty much a part of the farm. So um, I mentioned that we got started with 4-H, both Colin and I separately when we were kids. I actually started with chickens. Um, That was just what was available to me at the time. I grew up in a pretty uh, suburban area. So chicken 4-H was my closest contact I could have with livestock. But I eventually got the opportunity to work with sheep. We actually moved as a family to a more rural area. Uh, so a lot more livestock and a lot more agriculture in general. I've dabbled in dairy cows, meat, goats, poultry. I've worked a little bit with hogs. Um, I've worked on the meat processing side, the wool side, And ultimately, I just came back to sheep. So Colin's story is eerily similar to mine as we grew up in the same region, but doing things a little bit differently. And then we came together um, as I was about done with college and he was ready to leave his dairy farming career behind to do the sheep full time. So that's kind of how we got to where we are today. 
was there a reason? Because I know, like, you started with Finn, correct? And he started with the Border Lusters? Yeah. So is there a reason that you guys chose those breeds? Yeah. So um, when I was a kid, my kind of youth and naivety thought, I thought on a much larger scale than where I was at. So I am a first generation farmer. So my parents, you know, were very supportive, but they didn't have any agricultural background to really help me with. So we had about half an acre of land and I was farming kind of on my own. And I thought fins would work really well for me because on that limited amount of land, I could manage a small number of brood ewes, but still get a pretty high percentage lambing crop every year. So to support my little farm business, I could produce enough lambs, meat, wool, with only a couple ewes that really fit my situation. So that's what drew me to the fin breed. They're also a medium-sized animal that are really uh, docile. So that was great as a young kid handling them by myself. Colin um, got the Bordelesters kind of influenced from his 4-H leader. She had um, at her farm Cheviots, Southdowns, and Bordelesters. She kind of talked him out of the Cheviots because they're not so calm disposition and everyone had south downs when we were kids so he went to the border lusters kind of just whittled down from that but since then we've each worked with multiple other breeds i compiled a list with him the other day and it's like 30 different breeds that we've either owned or managed for someone else over our careers and we've always come back to the fins and border lusters that really work best for us and so um, the Cheviots, you said you recently started with the Border Cheviots. Yeah. And what made you kind of want to bring them on? So I <laughs> jumped in with them um, kind of just for my own enjoyment. They add a terminal quality to our flock. So the Finn and the Border Lester are both maternal breeds. The Cheviot is really on that midline between terminal and maternal. So they add some great carcass quality, some great hardiness to what we're doing, but also it was just for fun for me. Um, they're a meat breed in the show ring. So when I travel around to all our fairs and festivals, it's a totally different class of sheep that I can work with, fit out and exhibit. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, would you like to um, share about your farming practices? And I think I read that you practice extensive rotational grazing. So if you kind of want to share about like what that's all about and how you guys have your farming set up? Yeah, definitely. You know, we operate really with this mindset that every day our very first priority is our sheep. Um, next in our thought process is our land and what sustains both the sheep and land together. And then third, we're thinking about our community. So in terms of proper handling, nutrition, medical interventions, and these day-to-day -day tasks, we've decided not to subscribe to any specific certifications or labels. I had to learn about all of them in college, and I found that each, you know, organic or humane handling, all these things, they're great. I believe in a lot of their missions, but each of these processes kind of has some gaps um, and might turn a blind eye to some point isn't quite so much on that premium scale so we want to serve our community and try and keep especially our meats which we sell locally 
at the most affordable price point possible. So with that in mind, um, we do extensive rotational grazing, like you mentioned, from about May to October, depending of course on what the weather is doing. We rotate our brood ewes out on a couple different pieces of land. So we have just about 10 acres ourselves, but we utilize some other land from our neighbors and rotate our ewes. So that improves soil health. It gives them a really healthy kind of all around diet with the different forages that are naturally grown here. And uh, that's how we control parasites. So we don't use any dewormers. We simply manage parasites with that rotational grazing system. And do you use anything in particular for security? Do you have any livestock animal, like guardian animals, or do you just use a little electric fencing? Yeah, we do not have a guard dog, although it's kind of in the uh, not too far off dreams of ours. Right now, it's just electric fencing. And of course, you know, we do have uh, what, you know, I call the farm gun. It's just a um, you know, if something goes really wrong, we can go out there and protect our animals. But luckily, we haven't had many issues. The electric fence does a pretty good job where we're at. And I, I don't think I asked you, what is your flock size? Yeah, so we have about 30 brood ewes. And have you got all your breeding groups together and everything? Yeah, we actually... Um, we pulled rams a couple weeks ago, and we just got all of our ewes scanned this week. So we have confirmed, you know, whether or not they're bred or open, and we have an estimate on who's having the single lambs and who's having multiples. Yeah, because fins are known to have quite a lot, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of their um, leading characteristic. They're known for having litters of lambs. So I kind of wanted to jump into like your purpose for raising them. You raise them for the fiber and the meat. Do you have like a certain number each year that you want to use for meat? Or is it, you know, when you're looking for those characteristics to keep in your flock and then you use the others for meat? How do you determine that? Yeah. So um, like our primary purpose for raising our animals is to produce seed stock. So, you know, our, our fundamental goal is to, improve the breeds that we're working with and be able to provide quality breeding animals to other farms. So with that being the very first goal, we don't have a set number of what we'll retain as breeding animals and what we'll send into our meat system. We have, you know, some, some basic trends. I know about how much meat we'll sell in a year. I know about how many breeding animals we sell. So I have a baseline, kind of what I'd like to meet. But ultimately, we're picking the top quality of lambs that we had born in the year to get registered and either keep in our flock or sell to others to improve theirs. So there's no cutoff for quantity of meat lambs. Um, it's more weeding out what shouldn't make the cut as a breeding animal um, so that we can improve the breeds we're working with. Gotcha. And since we're talking about the meat, when you go to process your sheep, do you do all the butchering yourself or do you take them to a butcher? Yeah. So because of, um, you know, state regulations, we do process most of our lambs through a USDA slaughterhouse. And we are extremely lucky to have one very close to us that I trust and think does a fantastic job. 
That being said, um, before I got into wool and shearing and all of the fiber side of this, I trained as a butcher for quite a while. So I do process a good number of um, lambs and cull ewes at home on the farm every year. That's meat that's just, you know, for my family, I might give some away to neighbors, but uh, we do we do a little bit of both. Okay. And jumping into the wool side of things, how would you describe the wool from the fens and from the border lusters? And do you do a lot of that processing yourself or do you send that to a mill? Yeah, so that we um, get most of it spun by a mill. We do sell quite a bit of it raw also. So hand spinners and felters really enjoy it. The border lester is classified as a long wool. They're known for very, very lustrous penciled locks with a pearled tip, and they really exceed the expected softness from a long wool, which is my favorite quality about them. Um, we have a DK yarn that we get spun up from our border esters, and it feels so exceptionally soft for a long wool. Um, they shear around 10 pounds of wool a year and they're shorn twice a year. So we get about 10 to 12 inches of staple length divided in half gives us a really great wool crop. The fins, <laughs> they don't actually have a specific grade. So if you go into the, the history of the fin sheep in America, there is no specification for wool quality um, that hasn't been the focus of the breed in this country up until quite recently. So my fins are tending towards the coarser end of a medium wool. It's been a harder progression for me with my flock because I haven't focused quite as much on the wool as some other things. So you'll find fins along the whole range of long and medium wools, but mine are kind of on that in between right now. They come in a variety of colors. We're focusing less on that with my flock. I try and breed more for a consistent, a little bit tighter crimp and shearing a couple more pounds per year. Fins don't have quite the same staple length as a border for obvious reasons. You know, they are a little bit finer than that long wool, but um, shearing a couple more pounds a year, you know, improves their productivity. So that's something we're working towards. Would you like to talk about how you got started with the shearing side of things and kind of all about that side of your business? Yeah. So really, like I said, I, I was focused really on meat production um, in my younger years through high school and when I started off in college. And I only began shearing because there's such a shortage of shearers. I got to the point where I couldn't get someone to come out to my farm to shear my sheep. So I had enough experience with um, some pretty low quality shears that I kind of just figured it out just to keep my animals healthy. I didn't do a lot with the wool, but I did a little bit more and more as the years went on and got a little bit better. The word got out and I got calls from all farmers around the area just begging me to come share their sheep because they couldn't find anyone. So I begrudgingly agreed at first. Um, it's such a difficult skill and I didn't have the right real training at the time that I kind of hated it. But I finally did find some people who would help mentor me and teach me. And as I was handed some more of the knowledge that I needed to really do it right, 
I fell in love with it. I don't, I, you know, I can't tell you exactly the day, why, or when it happened, but it just, something clicked. And Colin has a pretty similar story because he shares quite a bit more than me that it's a, it's such a battle and a, like an uphill struggle to really become a good shearer. But once you get into it, it's so hard to pull yourself away. It's just addicting. So I went to a Vermont shearing school. I've been um, to New York shearing school where I got to work with Doug Rathke. Um, practice, practice, practice. It's just thousands and thousands of sheep that I've worked with in order to get to where I am. And I still have a long ways to go. Uh, we never really stop improving as a shearer. It's, it's such an art form in itself, the way you move the sheep to shear them and just the whole thing. I think it's just so neat. And, and it's such a, um, a physical, like tasking thing to do. I'm sure it's a really good workout, especially <laughs> depending on how many <laughs> sheep you have to shear at a farm. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, <laughs> when the season ticks up in the spring, um, it's a really kicks you into shape. You're guaranteed <laughs> to lose a few pounds. All that winter weight <laughs> comes off pretty easily when everyone wants those sheep shorn in April and May. Do you book up pretty fast, like right before spring hits? Yeah. So we actually start setting um, spring shearing dates, usually around the first of the year. So right now you've caught me in my like two weeks off almost. <laughs> um, come the new year, we'll be getting all sorts of phone calls and emails. And our March and April will probably be booked up before the beginning of March. And May doesn't doesn't wait too long either. So it's it's a wild spring, but it's fun. You know, seven days a week, I'm handling animals, talking to different shepherds. I know I couldn't ask for much more. I'm sure it's kind of hard too, being that like shearing season. I know a lot of people will get their sheep sheared, you know, right before lambing. So is that kind of a difficult balance between, you know, your lambing at the same time as people want their sheep shorn? How do you balance that? Yeah, that's one of the hardest times of year for us to work through. Luckily with the two of us, well, you know, not just lambing, but year round, I really take the lead on the farm and Colin takes the lead with the shearing. So gotcha. we're fortunate to have um, each other as a team. So during lambing, we're really in the heat of lambing in March. If there's any big jobs or uh, longer shearing trips, Colin can go away for a little bit and I can manage lambing. Usually by April, we're done lambing, which is really helpful because I can... Right get away and start picking up some more work off the farm. But it is, a, it is a struggle. There are days I wonder if we shouldn't be trying to juggle both, but it'd be, it'd be so hard to give up either one. Right. Yeah. Especially with both being such a big passion and, and they kind of coincide. It's just trying to find that right balance, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's pretty special that you have turned, you know, these passions into a business. And, and I think there's a lot of sheep farmers out there that, have a job outside the farm, but would love to make farming their full-time job. Can you talk about maybe just your experience turning this love in the sheep into your job and maybe some tips or steps for those out there that would love to do the same? Do you have any like special tips or <laughs> tricks? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's funny because if you had asked me this a year ago, I wouldn't have said for certain I would be doing this full-time. Um, I went to college for animal science, 
with no intention of running my own business. I loved dairy cows. I loved sheep. I loved meat processing. I figured, you know, there's plenty of opportunities for a career in something along those lines. But it got to be the end of my my degree and the shearing was picking up so much. Colin and I together kind of made the decision to just dive in and give it a go. So, <laughs> you know, not everyone is in that position personally to take that chance. And I think starting small is super important, especially, you know, if you have an off-farm job when you get started, there's no shame in just trying out with a couple of sheep, you know, look at what kind of inputs you have and what kind of outputs and consider more of the realities from there. The biggest advice I think I would give anyone who's considering doing this and wanting to do this full time is really, really developing an effective breeding program. Whether or not you want to try and sell seed stock like myself or do it strictly for meat or do it for wool, I won't say strictly for wool because <laughs> there's really no way to make a profit on sheep without doing some um, avenue of meat production. But whichever way you want to take it, um, you need a good solid breeding program. So talk to people about what sheep they have. Understand that every single breed of sheep has faults. You know, I love our fins and our borderlusters, but I think a good sheep breeder is going to be able to tell you the faults in their sheep. And I would happily do that for anyone interested in those two breeds. And consider lots of different options. If you don't care to do purebred um, seed stock production, crossbred sheep are fantastic. They're hardier, they're healthier, and they're going to perform better for you. So always consider those types of options when you're thinking about breeds of sheep. And then I tell everyone, especially my 4-Hers who are getting started with animals, find yourself a good veterinarian, a shearer, and a butcher before you get your animals. Because you do not want to be in the scenario where you need one tomorrow and haven't already made those contacts. Well, that's good advice. I had not heard that one before. <laughs> that is so smart because it is, you say, like, you get your sheep and then oh, they need to be shorn and then you can't find a shear. So <laughs> that, that's great advice. Um, is there a certain biggest challenge that comes to mind that you had to overcome when raising sheep or, or I mean, we talked about like the business side of things, but like raising sheep um, in particular, is there a big challenge that you've had to overcome? Yeah, um, I think I mentioned that I'm a first generation farmer and so is my partner, Colin. So the access to a lot of the, you know, first time experiences weren't right there for me. You know, learning how to use equipment, access to land, access to networks of people like finding a veterinarian, finding someone who will sell me hay. I had to start from scratch with all of that. I think that's really kind of toughened me up for where I'm at. And it's helped me develop a really great work ethic. But it was hard, especially as a young kid who was pretty shy working with strangers. It was really tough. I don't regret any of that. You know, looking back now, I'm pretty proud of all that. And I think it was good for me. But if you uh, are brand new, you know, if you have no family ties back to agriculture or sheep, there's a lot to start with that it's just tough work. But know that um, once you get through it, it'll be very rewarding. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can you also share a favorite part about, you know, being in this business or just raising sheep? You, yeah. I know there's probably lots because everyone tells me I can't <laughs> pick a favorite, but it's just one favorite sticks out in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I um, I was thinking about this for a while. It was hard for me to think about one thing. And of course, um, there's a lot of bad days, too. So, you know, right. to think about something I can't sugarcoat anything completely. I think just comes back to my love for sheep in general. As I neared the end of my undergrad and considered all the choices I had in careers, I thought, you know, I just want to be around sheep. They are so important to so many cultures and to people historically, some people spiritually. They're such a unique species of livestock that opportunity that I have to work with every aspect of these amazing animals from the lambing barn to grazing schedules, shearing, spinning, butchering, all of it. Um, They do so much for us and I think they're underappreciated sometimes but they're such special animals that my favorite part is just the fact that I get to be with them and work with them and really I think fully appreciate them. They are. I I do. I think I agree so much with them being a little bit unappreciated, especially when it comes to like the livestock world. You hear, you know, so much about cattle and goats and chickens and stuff. And, and I want to help spread the word about sheep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I kind of want to jump back to shearing really quick. Do you uh, have a favorite breed that you like to shear? Oh, yeah, there's definitely lots of breeds i prefer not shearing that I think of first (laughs) but as far as my favorite to shear um well as most shears would probably tell you anything that doesn't have leg or head wool is great (laughs) and (laughs) a lot of the meat breeds like cheviots or texels um are just so fun we can kind of breeze through them not to say that they're easier because oftentimes they're a little flighty and they're really heavy Mm -hmm. animals but the shearing goes so smoothly. They have pretty tight hides. They've got tough skin. Um, and that wool just peels right off. I would love to breeze through a couple hundred head of Cheviots any day. <laughs> and you don't have to answer this, but I'm kind of curious which ones are more of a pain to shear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the first one that I don't love are Icelandics. You know, they have that kind of rise. So depending on when a shepherd calls me out, I might be shearing through wool that just doesn't want to be shorn. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be built kind of like basketballs, which just doesn't work well for the pattern. And they, they're really kind of flighty on the shearing board. Mm-hmm. I shear some great ones and I have some clients who do a fantastic job with their animals. So it's not quite so bad, but <laughs> those sheep tend to give us the hardest time on the most regular basis. Gotcha. And they, yeah, cause they're wool. They have like the double coat too, right? Where, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go, would you like to share your website and your social media in case anybody would like to get in contact with you and schedule? in case they want to get some shearing done before you get booked up. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So our website is www.yankeerockfarm.com. All of our shearing information is in that website. If you just take a look at the shearing tab, Um, you can also find us on Facebook, 
at Yankee Rock Farm. We have a Facebook page for shearing, which is Yankee Clipper Shearing. And you can find me on Instagram as Yankee Rock Farm also. Yeah, I really love your Instagram. You have so much great information on there and your stories are always so informative. Thank you. Yeah, I I try to um, help educate a little bit. You know, I, I did study these uh, animal science in college and I, I think there's so much great information that isn't often spread, mm-hmm. um, especially about sheep management. So I'm always happy to help educate. And, you know, if anyone has questions about breeds or shearing, just in general, feel free to reach out to me. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and joining me. You're such a wealth of knowledge and I can't wait for the listeners to hear this episode. And I just I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I had a great time talking to Siri. Again, I think it is so wonderful that she is doing what she loves every day through hard work and determination. There was one thing that I forgot to ask Siri during our conversation, and that was how should shepherds prepare their farm and flock before shearing day? So I reached out to her after the interview to find out. And guess what? She has a whole page about it on her website at yankeerockfarm.com. And I added the link to the show notes so it's just a click away, but I will touch on the bullet points here. First, fast your sheep. So make sure they don't eat at least 12 hours prior to shearing. Keep your sheep dry. Have your sheep penned up near the shearing area before your shearer arrives. Provide a piece of plywood or canvas tarp for them to shear on have bags for the wool, and a broom for the board that they're shearing on, and have electricity available. Most shearers will need an electricity source unless your shearer uses hand shears. And one thing Sari wanted to add is to communicate with your shearer ahead of time. So if for some reason you cannot keep your sheep dry, you have concerns about temperature, questions about storing wool, or anything that might come up during shearing, talk to your shearer in advance. Many shears can be pretty accommodating, but they need to know beforehand what they are walking into so they can schedule their days accordingly. So it sounds like preparation and communication are key to making shearing day go as smoothly as possible for you, your flock, and your shearer. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, take care and keep creating with fiber. Hey.